Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the James McDonald Podcast, where we say love to live to love. That's our focus, that's our passion, and we invite you to let God's Word have that impact in your life right now. Here's Pastor James. I've known this little phrase since I was a kid. I'd encourage you to commit this to memory. It's a good habit to write some things in the back pages or the front pages of your Bible that stick out to you while you're listening. Here's the phrase. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. If you're only born physically, then you will die physically and you will die spiritually in hell. This is the second death. But if you're born physically and you're born again, spiritually, you will only die once, physically, and then you'll be in the presence of the Lord forever. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Jesus said in John chapter 3, marvel not that I say to you, you must be what? Born again. Born a second time. Now at the end of this message, I'm going to give you a chance to look into your heart maybe like you haven't had for a long time, and answer for yourself honestly the question, have I been born again? If you haven't been born again, then all you have to look forward to is the second death. Last week I preached on Revelation 21 where it says, whereas for the cowardly, faithless, detestable, murderers, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake of fire, which is the second death. You don't want the second death, y'all. Born once, die twice. Born twice, say it. Die once, come on. Hades, hell, second death, C.S. Lewis, the great philosopher, said, the safest road to hell is a gradual one, the gentle slope, soft, tender under your foot, no sudden turnings, without any storms or distractions. I'm hoping to interrupt that here tonight. And this is reality. God has given us time. This is your time. Your time on earth. Your time on earth is your time to figure it out. To respond to creation and conscience and Christ. Your time to get off the broad road that everyone's running down. And get over on the narrow road that leads to eternal life. God has given time. God has given grace Grace is where we don't get what we deserve. If we all got what we deserve, we wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to finish this sentence. And grace is not getting what I deserve. It's, it goes with time. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die. There's no two times around. All of the you know, reincarnation and nonsense is just fanciful, dark, evil, false religion. So you get time, you get grace, and you get volition. 
who knows the word, you know the word volition? It's a beautiful word. Volition, if I, did anyone ever um, play the game uh, Simon Says? Come on, come on, come on. Simon Says do this. Come on. Simon Says do this. Simon Says do this. Simon Says do this. I'm not going to make you do the, when I don't say Simon Says, because it is my point. My point is, is you could respond. You have volition. Some of you did it. Some of you didn't do it. I'm not offended if you didn't do it. But I do want you to notice that you have the ability to do or to refuse to do. And that is your volition. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8, verse 34, he stood on a grassy hillside out Jerusalem and he said, Whosoever will may come. And a few came. And most didn't but all used up their opportunity, their grace expired, their own volition settled with certainty where they would spend eternity. Hades, hell, second death. Now this, I referenced it multiple times and I've read it already, Revelation 21.8, and death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, lake of fire. That's in multiple places in the book of Revelation. It's a description of hell. And the reason hell is called a lake of fire is because, not because it's fire on the water. Have you ever been in a lake? Ever been in a lake? How much water is in the lake? A lot. From shore to shore. Uh, the totality of the lake is water. And when the Bible describes hell as a lake of fire, it's not with reference to water, it's with reference to totality. From shore to shore, hell will be a place of, as I said, eternal torment for the impenitent. And this thing about fire is a big part of it, which actually takes me to the next section that I want to go to now terms describing the punishment that is in hell. Now, these are not easy things to talk about. Charles Hodge, who I mentioned at the beginning, said this about hell. It is a doctrine which the heart revolts from and struggles against and to which it submits only under the stress of authority. The church believes the doctrine of hell because it must believe it or renounce faith in the Bible and give up all the hope founded upon its promises. And so these next things that I'm going to talk about, I don't say them easily, I just say them biblically. Terms describing the punishment in hell, here's the first one. Matthew chapter 13, I'll read it to you. The term is fire. Matthew chapter 13, and the term is fire. Matthew 13 tells the story of a boat and it says about the net, when it was full, the men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, these fish, and threw away the bad. And Jesus said, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. 
In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Remember that term as well. But for right now, throw them into the fiery furnace. This is mentioned 27 times in the New Testament. Matthew 25, 41. Then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Luke 3, 17. Speaking of Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff... Think of the human races. Do you know what wheat and chaff is? If we were to harvest a wheat field and we would get together all of the pieces of grain, there is the, the chaff that surrounds the seed, the grain, and the seed is taken out and ground into flour and has a thousand pieces of usefulness. But the chaff, how much use does the chaff have? Nothing. And here he is describing the human race as the seed or the chaff. And he says this again. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barns, but the chaff he'll burn with unquenchable fire. Revelation 14.10 says, He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And so, a fire is the picture. However, however, everyone say however, when I was a kid, I pictured hell as like, I'm in a house, it's on fire, but it doesn't fall down. It just keeps raging and I keep standing here. Um, I don't actually think that that's what hell is. Uh, not uh, specifically uh, like that. Uh, Charles Hodge again uh, says um, on this uh, passage, there seems to be no reason to regard the fire as more literal than the, than the worm. It says that where the fire is not quenched and the worm does not die. The point of fire in hell, how literal, how, I mean, we're not, we don't even have our, those who are saved when they go to heaven are going to be resurrected with their bodies. Those who are lost and go to eternal damnation are not going to have resurrected bodies. In what sense will they feel even physical pain? That really isn't the point that I'm trying to make. The point, because I don't think we're quite clear about that. What we know is, is that the suffering will be great and that the fire is not a wrong or inaccurate picture of what it's like. We know that the rich man cried out saying, you know, give me some water to cool my tongue for I am, he actually says, for I am in torment. So is it a soul anguish of which fire is an accurate picture? What fire would be to your physical this Wrath of God is to your soul. In any event, fire is one of the pictures. Here's another one. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is very important right now. You've never heard this, what I'm about to tell you. I promise you, you've never heard this. I studied the Bible for 30 years before I'd ever heard this. This is used seven times. Many will come from the east and the west, Matthew 8, 11, and will recline at the table while the sons of the kingdom, but some will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is seven times in the New Testament. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of the kingdom all sin and lawbreakers. They will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Matthew 25, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, and that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, of all the times that the phrase gnashing of teeth is used in the Bible, it is always used of the unrepentant or impenitent wicked looking upon the forgiven and upon the righteous. For example, in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was being martyred, it says he was preaching to them and asking God to forgive them as they were casting stones upon him to kill him. And he said, when they heard these things, they, um, they raged at him and gnashed their teeth at him. This, so here's the idea. Any sense that you have that people in hell are like, wow, I really blew this. It, it couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, they will continue to gnash their teeth at and rage against the God that they rejected through all of eternity. This is why people say, there's no more sinning once you get to hell. Incorrect. They will continue to rebel. They will continue to sin. And they will continue to be. But here, I'll get to you in just a moment what it means to be in their sealed state. But fire, weeping and gnashing of teeth, residents of hell are not repentant. They're not wishing they were in heaven. They're shaking their fist at it. They're not admitting they were wrong. They continue to rationalize their hateful rejection of God. And that only accelerates when God's grace and the Holy Spirit's restraint is removed from them. Which gets to this, outer darkness, outer darkness. Matthew chapter 8 says, they will be thrown into outer darkness. Also gloomy darkness and utter darkness. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. Matthew 25, 30, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. Most of us, before this terrifically difficult message to preach, and thank you for your loving attentiveness to God's word. Most of us could not have finished an articulate paragraph about hell an hour ago. Now we know its definition, its purpose, the terms that describe it, Hades, hell, second death, lake of fire. Now we're working through these very difficult terms describing the punishment of hell, fire, weeping and gnashing. Now outer darkness. Some say, how can there be outer darkness if there's fire? Fire is light. Is it light or is it darkness? Which is it? These are further indications that we should be careful about the specificity of these images. This is what we can be clear of. They represent literal realities. Literal suffering, literal torment. The point of darkness, of course, is isolation. You'll hear people say, I can't wait to get to hell. I got some people I haven't seen for a while. I'm going to shake around. I'm going to shake a few hands. We're going to crack open a couple of beers. How many people heard that? That is when you're here, you're hearing a fool talking. You're hearing a fool talking, and it's sad. I don't feel angry at them for their foolishness. I feel grieved by their unawareness. Nothing but blackness. Nothing but darkness. The inability to see. And this is, this is why I saved this term, weeping. The gnashing of teeth is the not repentant, not regretting. But it's interesting, weeping. Not sobbing, not shrieking, weeping. 
Weeping is a symbol of utter despair. Weeping is resignation in hopelessness. This will never change. This will never end. Weeping is the result of this third punishment. Yes, fire. Yes, gnashing. But weeping in outer darkness. And here's the fourth and in some senses the most troubling term. Um, destruction. Destruction. Matthew chapter 10 verse 28. Let me look it up for you quick. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says this. I do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, kill him who can, there's the word, destroy both soul and body in hell. Destruction. Destruction. This has led some people to wrongly uh, conclude that hell is a place of annihilation where people cease to exist. But that would make all of the biblical teaching on hell nonsense. Something is destroyed. Something is destroyed. How many people have heard the term Imago Dei? The Imago Dei. Okay, the Imago Dei is Latin for the Dei is God, the image of God and that we all have the Imago Dei, every single person, the person in this world that you like the most and the person in this world that you like the least, all have the image of God upon them. That is in every human person until they drop, their soul drops into hell. There that person will be abandoned by God to destruction. A better term, honestly, for this phrase describing hell to be destroyed is not to cease to exist, but every vestige of human potential is gone. Every hope for reform, every chance to do better, every week and month and year ahead of us now with opportunity to do something more with our life, it'll be gone in hell. That is destroyed in you. Every person that goes to hell loses the Imago Dei. And God's not striving with them and God's not working with them. And God's not pleading with them like I'm pleading with you now to see what an awesome thing life is. There is grace. There is time. There is opportunity. And when they are in hell, they will not even regret having forfeited it because that itself is a grace that there could have been something better for me, that I could have done something more with my life. But I chose instead to go my own way and do my own thing. Hell is a place for the impenitent. And apart from grace, they will be sealed in their state of perpetual sinful rebellion. Do you think that when a wolf takes down an elk and the pack shreds that wolf with its teeth, has a few bites and 
jogs off to the next one they can take down for sport? Do you think that the wolf grieves what it destroyed? Do you think it for a moment thinks to itself, I wonder if that was right, what I just did? The reason it doesn't think that way is because it is an animal. It has no imago day, And that is the condition of all of the impenitent in hell. They are animals. No capacity for conscience or grief or correction or improvement. Life is so awesome. And every day that sun comes up is another chance to love and to forgive and to believe and to exercise volition and to choose something better. This is a subject that needs much reflection. Now, just briefly before I bring it to a personal conclusion, some modern objections to hell. Some say, well, it's not right. Eternity is too long. How can you be punished forever for something that only lasted for 60, 70, 80 years? Again, I've already answered that. People continue to sin in hell. And you don't technically even go to hell for your sins anyway. Jesus Christ has already paid the penalty for your sins. God would never have you pay again for what Jesus already paid for. You don't go to hell to pay for your sins. You go to hell to experience the wrath of God for rejecting the free offer of the forgiveness of sins in Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 should terrify every person. It says, anyone, listen to me, anyone who sets aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Of how much greater punishment will he be considered worthy who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant and put Jesus to open shame? That is what it is to reject Jesus. Imagine if you had given your son for someone. Jesus took upon himself the payment for our sins so that we could be forgiven. How great will be God's wrath upon those who reject creation and conscience and Christ himself and choose to live apart from that as capable of providing endless bliss for those who embrace his son by faith. He is that capable of providing endless torment for those who refuse what he offers so freely in Christ. Some people say, well, the torment's too severe. God's not merciful. The cross of Jesus Christ is the statement of God's mercy. And hell is the statement, God's statement about the severity of sin. Do you think that if God could just kind of, wow, it's not that big of a deal. Let's just all go to heaven and we'll, get, we'll figure it out when we get there. How cruel God would have been to put his son on a cross if sin could be lightly dismissed. No, no. Holiness demands that sin is accounted for and love found a way that you don't have to account for it yourself. So, 
Finally, implications of hell. One, I must be sure of my salvation. I must be sure of my salvation. Just bow with me if you would in prayer. I'm going to just ask you a couple questions about that. I must be sure of my salvation. As you look into your own heart with your eyes closed so you can reflect. Can you look to a time in your life when you turn from your sin and embrace Jesus Christ for, by faith? Have you done that? When did that happen? Are you sure? You can't catch it. You can't borrow it. You can't sneak it later. You have to know that you know. I'm happy to have my wife Kathy here tonight. I know that I'm married. I don't have to check. I don't have to, I know. I got married. I know. What would make you think you could come into an eternal relationship with the God of the universe? Kind of, I think. But a, a human relationship like marriage, of course you know. It's the same way. If you don't know, you don't. If you're not sure, you don't have it. But you can have it. I said last week, and I'll say again, it's as simple as ABC. Except the fact that you're a sinner, like I am, like we are. That we're in need of God's forgiveness. We're not all that. We're in need of God's forgiveness. Except the fact you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus paid the penalty for your forgiveness. He paid for my sin. He paid on the cross. What's he doing up there? The first time John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is the gospel. He became sin for us who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you understand? It's not a religion. It's not some stupid stained glass window church thing. All that is man-made. Get past that and get to the God of the universe who loves you and provided for your forgiveness in his son, Jesus. I must be sure of my salvation. Can you look to a time in your life when you've turned from your sin and embraced Jesus Christ by faith for your forgiveness? If you can't, this is your time right now. So just close your eyes with me and I want to invite you to pray with me. If you're sure that you have, you don't need to do it again. But if you're sure that you haven't, you should. And if you're not sure that you have, you should settle it now. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So just A, accept the fact that you're a sinner and just pray quietly from your heart, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've broken your law in many ways. I'm not a perfect man or woman. I have sinned, I have fallen short. I have been stubborn, I have been rebellious, I have been willful, and I have been wrong. But I believe your word that says that you love the world so much that you gave your son that whoever would believe in him 
would not perish but have eternal life. And I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Just pray, Lord, come into my life now and save me from my sin and forgive me. Once and for all, let this be settled here. October the 1st, 2022. I'm writing it down. I asked Christ to come into my life and to save me, to forgive me. Jesus said, he who comes to me, I will under no circumstances send away. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. You don't have to get it together first. He'll help you get it together. You come to him first. And here's the final thing. You have to confess, A, B, C. Jesus said, he who confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father. Now let me just have you just as quiet as quiet could be. If you prayed that prayer with me from your heart and you meant it, why don't you just uh, quietly slip up your hand right now in this room full of people that cares about you. If you were praying with me when I was praying, great, just slip your hand up high. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. All right, I see a few people with their hand up. That's fantastic. Good for you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Just slip your hand up. Say, I was praying with you. I want to make sure that I know Jesus personally. I saw your hands. That's awesome. Guys, anybody else? All right, though, everybody keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, but just the people that raise their hands, I want you to look up here at me, and I'm going to ask you individually. I just want you to say it out loud. You'll never forget that you did this, and you'll be so glad you did. Just say, I confess Jesus Christ as my Savior. Just say it. I confess Jesus Christ as my Savior. Amen. And I confess Jesus Christ as my Savior. Awesome. And I confess Jesus Christ as my Savior. Amen. And Amen. That's so awesome. Anyone else? Anyone else want to say, well, you want to say that out loud? Savior. What? I confess Jesus Christ as my Savior. Awesome. And Wendy? I confess that Jesus Christ is my Savior. Amen. Amen. Now, the thing is, there's, it's so awesome. If you didn't need to do it again, if you didn't need to really, what would a father think? He would want you. Oh, you weren't sure? I'm so glad you're sure now. I'm so glad you're sharing that, right? A father would never, I love the story of the prodigal son. You know the prodigal son? He was so rebellious and he took his inheritance and he went away and he lived terrible like a pig and then he moved in with the pigs and all of a sudden he's like, I'm gonna go home. And he's like, my father's gonna probably be pretty hard on me. But the Bible says that he, the father saw him when he was far off and he ran and he threw his arms around him. The Bible says that heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. More than 99 people who don't think they need to, right. Right? right? So you bless the heart of God and you bless heaven itself by what you pray and by what you say here tonight. Father, I'm thankful for every confession of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your promise that if we confess you before men as these have done here, that you will confess us before our Father in heaven. Thank you that heaven is rejoicing because people are moving from that broad road where so many are onto the narrow road. Thank you that by faith in Jesus we have received the free gift of eternal life. And thank you that several tonight have said it or made it certain. And I pray that you'd never cause us to doubt it again. You say in your word that as many as, you, as receive you to those you've given the authority to be called children of God. And through faith in Jesus we have received you 
And so we thank you for the authority to be called your children. By your Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd keep us in the truth and give us joy in the truth. It's our delight to be here together and to be in your family through faith in Jesus, to have heaven as our future. And so we rejoice in that tonight. We thank you for the truth of your word that draws us to heaven and causes us to want to flee what you have in mind for those who refuse you. But we are not refusing. And so we say thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I hope that you've been really encouraged today through this clear teaching from God's word. I just want to thank you from the whole team for listening to the James McDonald podcast, where the learning is for loving, loving God and for loving others more and more until we see him face to face. Thank you for standing with us. Your prayerful support is our lifeline to continue this gospel partnership, and it makes podcasts like these possible. If you're not part of a vibrant, life-giving gospel church, check out this new alternative. It's called the Home Church Network. You can get it at homechurchnetwork.global. All the ministry information, Bible teaching, and and resources are there, and also at jamesmcdonaldministries.org. Hey, thank you again for listening.